Welcome back to another episode of the Lead with Data podcast with myself, Rena Gami. In addition to being a podcast host, I also lead a business intelligence and data analytics recruitment practice. This is the podcast where I bring you some of the most talented data leaders who have contributed in significant uplift of BI and data analytics capabilities in some of the most progressive organizations across Australia. I want to share the stories of their careers, challenges they faced, and the reality of how the recent pandemic may or may not have impacted their roles and responsibilities in their current organizations. Here's where we get to learn what some of the professionals in this field are doing right now. I'm super excited today to be joined by Jonas Christiansen. Jonas has spent his career leading data science functions across a number of different industries. Um, He also happens to be a host of his own podcast called Leaders of Analytics um, and recently co-authored and published a book called Demystifying AI for the Enterprise. Um, This is basically a playbook for business value and digital transformation. And we talk a little bit more about this topic today on the show. Um, Jonas is an international keynote speaker. He talks about data science and analytics leadership. He's also um, been a postgraduate educator and advisor um, and and designed programs for data science and machine learning. Um, He's really passionate about data science and what AI can do for the world of business and beyond. He believes data science and AI will be as revolutionary to the way we do business and interact with each other as IT and personal computing has been over the last 40 years. And I can't wait to get stuck in to the show today. Welcome on the show, Jonas. Oh, thank you, Rina. Thank you for having me here today. It is absolutely my pleasure to be here. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, for those of you who don't know um, Jonas or haven't heard his podcast, he's actually a podcast host himself um, and also a seasoned um, data and analytics uh, profession professional. Um, and look, today I was really excited to have him on the show because I have um, seen him making a bit of noise um, on my LinkedIn um, page and, and I've seen him sort of talking to some exciting guests. So I thought it'd be great to interview him and find out a little bit more about his world, um, you know, what he's done and um, some of the things that he's been sort of working on. So I'll hand over to you, Janice, and get you to give us a bit of an introduction into your background and, you know, your career to date. Oh, wonderful. Well, where do we start? So if we start with my analytics journey, that's probably what the, what people are interested in on this podcast. So uh, as many people of my generation, I ended up in analytics in a roundabout way because uh, back when I started in uh, sort of the mid noughties uh, there was no analytics degrees, no data science degrees. It was uh, something that you ended up in uh, in roundabout ways. So uh, at the time I was studying uh, at university, I was studying economics, uh, finance and accounting. And uh, I... I sent out an unsolicited application to a bank and uh, I got uh, a letter back a couple of weeks later with uh, the message of uh, something to the effect of, uh, thanks for your application, we're going to throw it in the bin and uh, uh, we might see you in the future. So I thought, all right, well, that's too bad. Uh, I'll go and get a, a normal student job at a, at a pub and uh, that's what I did. Uh, a week into that job, I got a call from said bank and they yeah. said, oh, would you like to come in for an interview? I went in and uh, 
they started asking me about different coding languages and so on. And I had no idea. I said, look, this is, I don't know anything about this stuff. So I, I walked out and I thought, oh, well, that was a, an opportunity uh, passed. A few days later, I got a call again and they said, you've got the job. Oh, wow. And I said, well, hang on. What, <laughs> what happened here? Why did you, why did you want to hire me? And they said, oh, look, we really liked the way you thought about things and, and how you presented yourself uh, and you could really be a really good fit for our team. So. I joined and, and all of a sudden we I was doing analytics for this bank and they taught me how to code in SAS and SQL, which were the, the tools of the trade at the time. Yeah. And I saw what you could do with data, right? So so remember I, I did have a background in finance and accounting, so mm-hmm. I was a as a numbers person, but but this was a whole new world, right? We were analyzing millions of rows of data and I fell in love with that opportunity to to really get stories out of data. And so that's been uh, for the last 16 years, been what I've uh, been focusing on in my career, and I've just gotten deeper and deeper into that uh, that hole of uh, of data science. Um, and I've done that across various industries like financial services, utilities, um, and uh, consulting. And and now I'm uh, doing it in the in the legal services industry, which is a, a recent uh, endeavor for me. Um, so yeah, that that's my background. Um, I'm the head of data science for a, a law firm called uh, Morris Blackburn Lawyers uh, at the moment. So that's where where it's taken me uh, over those years. Excellent, excellent. And I noticed that um, during your career as well that you had launched a online um, company as well. You founded a, a company, Bike Sale. To tell us a bit more about how how that came about. I know we're sort of sidetracking here, but I'm intrigued. Yes, of course. I don't think it's a sidetrack. It's it's all part of my journey. So, yeah. so I've always had this interest in entrepreneurship and innovation and doing my own thing. And so you could see that in terms of me starting a podcast as well is is one type of uh, creative uh, endeavor or or uh, entrepreneurial endeavor. Not not quite a business, but uh, nevertheless. Uh, but back to the the bike business. So. I was looking for an opportunity to do something myself. And uh, one night I was sitting there with my brother-in-law uh, and uh, he was complaining about how expensive it was to use eBay because he was buying and selling bicycles. Uh, he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a keen uh, cyclist. And I was looking for a business opportunity and we were both keen cyclists, uh, are still, but but at that time as well. And... I said, why don't we do something about it? This is clearly a, a consumer problem that's also a business problem. And uh, let's build something up around it. And we started thinking about how we did it. And we were, as most people starting out, sort of uh, uh, happily ignorant and uh, blissfully ignorant in terms yeah. of our, our approach. And and uh, we were, as we got deeper into it, realizing that the, we were actually building a software company here, not just uh, some sort of uh, download a work, WordPress uh, solution. And, yeah. and now you've got a, a platform. Because um, what we were building was a, a marketplace for bicycles. Um, yeah. So they were already existing out there. Um, and and uh, I spent some years on that on the side and then uh, went full time on it for a period as well. And it taught me a lot about uh, cycling, of course, but also yeah. a lot about myself. And and what it taught me about myself was that entrepreneurship is very, very hard. And I actually feel uh, 
and more comfortable and more focused, more engaged when I'm an entrepreneur. So yeah. someone who innovates and events inside an established organization as opposed to starting from scratch. But that was a pretty hard uh, self-realization to make because I had had this idea that I was going to be an entrepreneur. Yes, yeah. In my head for a while. So, so uh, having that uh, self-awareness and, and learning that about yourself is at first difficult, but uh, it's, it's made me a happier person later on. So once I realized that, uh, I realized that I am, uh, I had to move on, so I sold my share of the business and uh, and moved back into to the analytics world, and um, and I've been there ever since, and and loving that. Great, great, and look, um, you know, I think certainly you, you touched on it that you know there's so many things that you would have learned from that, but also things that you know you've probably taken from that that have contributed to who you are now, which kind of um, perfectly leads me into. My next question, which was going to be around, tell me about a couple of um, career highlights or projects that have shaped who you are. You've given us one one um, one reason there and, and one example there of, you know, when you run your own business and it's sort of helped you realize who you are and what your passion is. Um, yeah. Tell me about, you know, tell me about another um, time during that, during your career. So I think generally speaking, uh, self-awareness is sort of a hidden human superpower so if you can if you can evolve that uh, that's really uh, something that is amazing for your career and that means understanding what you're good at what you're not good at and also what you enjoy and what you don't enjoy and uh, bringing that back to career highlights i think uh, when i've been pushed in a direction or, or led in a direction and pulled myself in a direction uh, where i've had to step out of my comfort zone uh, had to to look at myself uh, from from the outside in and and develop and 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 having done that uh, has been some of the where the highlights come from. Um, so uh, to qualify that with examples, um, I um, I took a job some years ago uh, in a bank and uh, and I uh, I started there as a as a senior analyst um, and I could see when I went through the job interview process that. Uh, that this bank uh, really needed my skill set and they weren't quite sure what it could do. Um, but I had an opportunity to really come and influence this organization. So uh, I went into the organization and uh, uh, I could see that through the interview processes, the things that I had uh, had discovered were correct and it was actually a little bit less evolved than I thought. Um, and uh, at first, that really frightened me and, and made me quite nervous. But uh, I, I took the opportunity to really challenge myself and push myself uh, to come up with a solution uh, to this, uh, this situation of uh, um, basic data structures, uh, low levels of, of inside information being produced around the organization um, and how that affected the profitability uh, of the organization overall. Um, so I put together um, twenty page twenty page plan uh, for management to consider uh, on how I would solve this, and um, and that led me on a on a pretty wild career ride there, where um, I got a few promotions in within a sh short period of time, and um, and all of a sudden I was head of analytics for this organization um, because I um, I put myself out there. 
uh, I got the sponsorship from from the right people in the organization. They pushed me up the up the ranks. Um, so that wouldn't have happened unless I had uh, developed the awareness around where my my strengths and weaknesses were as a as an analyst, as a yeah. as a leader, and so on. Um, so so that part of my career, uh, there was sort of a two and a half three year period where uh, I really uh, rose there and had to learn a lot on the fly. Uh, is one of my highlights. Uh, other highlights include. Uh, seeing my team succeed so having having people that i have helped do that same thing uh, that has really really uh, meant a lot to me and when i look back at, at what i consider some of the high points in my career that's when when i've seen someone grow in that same way excellent excellent thank you thank you for sharing that um and in relation to to data obviously this is your world. So, so tell me what excites you about data. Oh, there's so much to be excited about. So the, the way I think about data and information that we're collecting now uh, as a course of business, so even though a lot of our, our ways of doing business and the products that we have uh, are fundamentally the same as they might have been 40 years ago, say. And a lot of it has now uh, either either is alive only in a digital environment or at least has a digital footprint. So everything is creating data, which means as business leaders, we now have a completely different way of thinking about things or we have an opportunity to think differently about things. We don't now just have to rely on anecdotal evidence, uh, gut feel, uh, what we logically think is correct. We can actually test and measure that, and often before we make the decision. Uh, and there's a there's a big difference between making a, a decision on gut feel that you validate later versus using data to validate the gut feel upfront. And so I think this is a real opportunity for businesses uh, to just make the right decisions. Upfront, and um, because there is there is such value in in not making wrong decisions, yeah, that that actually can uh, save you a lot of time, effort, and um, and push you forward ahead of your competition. So, uh, I'm thinking of uh, a quote that I'm going to bastardize completely, but uh, uh, Warren Buffett and uh, Charlie Munger, who are uh, very famous investors, uh, they say. A large part of our success is just that we haven't made the wrong decisions or stupid decisions, not necessarily yeah. that they've invested in uh, in really cool things like the the new Apple or uh, the first Google and all that stuff, um, but they've just not made bad investments along the yeah. way. And and so is it with uh, your investment in in your own organization. Um, so so that's the first thing. I think the the second thing is that. All this data is actually describing the way that your employees and your customers are engaging with your products and with your business. And, yeah. and that is a, in a technical way, but also potentially uh, the emotions that go through that you can measure with this data. Um, and I think it's just a unique opportunity to be really empathetic with your with your customers and your employees in the digital world um, 
So with with data, you can you can start to measure and optimize how you should do things so that people get excited about your products yeah. and, and that the experience is top-notch. Uh, and that, of course, improves the bottom line, but it also just improves uh, the world and society in general. And so what excites me about data in summary is really uh, the possibility to be so much more uh, for for those who, who use our solutions uh, in a digital uh, environment. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that, Yanis. So obviously we're hearing that a lot of organizations are investing in AI-led sort of digital transformations. And, you know, sometimes um, they have these great strategies and plans and, and fail to deliver or, you know, deliver maybe partly. Um, why do you think that is? Uh, there are a few reasons, typically, and the, the relative weighting of them will be It'd be different in, in different organizations. But um, if you think about uh, succeeding with AI and, and what that means, there are, uh, there are some very technical aspects to that. And there are some, some human aspects or cultural aspects of the organization. And uh, I roughly say that the, each of those uh, two categories are, are equally important. So if we start with the technical uh, aspect, uh, at a very foundational level, if you don't have the right data in the right format, this is the, the foundational building blocks of what you're trying to do. The data is dirty and not collected correctly. It doesn't represent what you're trying to do. You're not going to be able to build good things. Right? If you're building a house, you don't buy rotten wooden boards or, or half-cut bricks or, or what have you. Mm -hmm. You need the right materials to build this stuff. Um, you need the right technological infrastructure uh, to do so. Um, and that's where a lot of existing organizations, old organizations, uh, have a challenge because they have a lot of legacy systems, which is typically mm -hmm. uh, a burden on organizations. Um, so this is obvious for organizations to identify that we have 500 different uh, technologies or applications working together, some from the 1980s, some from the 1990s, some from the 2000s, and some that are, uh, are modern today and built to, uh, to generate uh, all these data points, but also uh, consume analytical output, which AI is really about. Typically, it's about some sort of prescribed action where you're trying to serve up the information to, to an end user being uh, frontline staff or or a customer or or other people who are engaging with, with the AI. Um, uh, that that requires systems to be configured to be able to yeah. do that. And that can be very hard if you have a lot of systems that are, that are speaking together and, and no one has clarity across that. So so that's sort of um some of the technical aspects. Yeah. And the other aspect which is at least as important is the organization's ability to consume this output, right? So when we're talking about technical aspect, it's, uh, it's to a large degree our ability to produce AI solutions or data solutions, more broadly data science solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, but the organization's ability to consume it is just as important. And that has a lot to do with organizational culture, uh, analytics maturity, uh, analytics literacy in the organization. Mm -hmm. And just how we decide as an organization we want to do things. And so that requires that sort of real 
sponsorship from the top that this is the way that we want to work with our organization and um and this is a, this is a priority for us um, now those two things together uh, is uh, what's required to then uh, implement solutions and mm -hmm. uh, that's where the rubber hits the road of course so uh, often you see uh, this challenge of of moving from uh, proof of concept to actually standing up yeah. um, something. Um, and again, there's two elements to that, which is uh, the technical setup of doing that versus uh, the cultural setup of being able to actually consume the output in a, in a, uh, in a relevant and a meaningful way. Um, so I think uh, where most organizations uh, fall down is they, they're still learning how to um, supposed to build up that uh, operational structure, right? So we talk a lot about uh, ML ops or DevOps and so on, and that operational structure of, of how to consume this output at the front line of the organization. Yeah. And uh, how you do that depends on the organization. Um, but, um, but this is where uh, a lot of organizations uh, struggle. And um, I think where where the key there is is you gotta you gotta work through that because uh, to do uh, analytics, uh, data science, machine learning, AI at scale, you actually have to practice. This is a is a muscle that needs to be trained. You don't go to the gym and bench press two hundred kilos straight away. Uh, that takes ten years, and this is something that an organization has to learn how to do, and it takes a long time. It takes years. Doesn't mean you shouldn't start because it takes yeah. a long time means you should start now because yeah. we'll need it in the future. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's it. I think companies at the moment feel like they're, um, they need to jump on this right now because they'll fall behind. But I think if they don't start in the right way, then it, you know, they won't succeed in what they're trying to um, if they're just trying to keep up with everyone else because that's what everyone else is doing. Um, they need to kind of look back and look at the foundations of their business, what's available, what's not, before they kind of go on this go on this journey. Yeah, so I totally agree with you there. The the thing that that businesses we call it, that the really the leadership within within these organizations who are are choosing to invest in this uh, capability uh, must realize is that it's actually not cheap. It's it's probably pretty expensive to do. There's a lot of technical and, and cultural hurdles to go through. So uh, that's something that you need to walk into it with an open mind to and, and, and grab that as a challenge that you need to solve. And because if you expect that uh, it's going to be some cute little project on the side and you're going to have yeah. success and you install the AI and, and it's going to work, and then that's not realistic. At the same time, those who jump in with both feet and really take it seriously uh, are are seeing uh, and 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 the book that we've written, which we might talk about later, uh, is um, is a testament to that. Yeah. Of, of case studies around the world where 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 people are succeeding with this stuff. Right? So so it can be done, but you got to do it right, and you got to have full focus and choose to do it properly, not not in a in a fun experimentational way. Yeah. Doesn't mean you don't experiment at first and plant the seed. Of course. Uh, in maturity. 
but you've got to have that end in mind of this is where we're trying to get to um, and how do you build your capability up over time that's yeah. pretty critical excellent well let's talk about let's talk about that while while we're on the topic and and I was going to ask you about that because I know that you've been um working with um some some other uh, you know, sort of co-authors and 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 got a book um, which sort of demystifies AI for the enterprise um, and specifically related to what we're talking about there in terms of, you know, um, business executives understanding what it means, how it impacts the business, how you can set things up. So tell, tell me a bit more about why and what led you to write that book. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, the book is called Demystifying AI for the Enterprise. And uh, as the title says, this is what, what we're trying to, yeah. trying to do for the audience. Uh, the book is written for, for an executive audience and a leadership audience, but it can really be consumed by, by everyone at all levels who want to understand in a non-technical way what AI can do for an organization. Um, and that's why we wrote it, because... There are lots of books out there that tell you how to write Python code and and how to technically implement things, but it's really just as much about the leadership and the, the structured structural change, the strategic thinking around putting all these components together so that it works for your business and your customers. And that's critical. And um, we we saw a gap in the market for for this kind of book, and um, so. So uh, the authors on it, so there's seven of us, um, uh, are from from very different industries, uh, but all with this sort of common thread of really uh, being experts in data science and mm-hmm. AI and what that can do for businesses. And um, we wanted we wanted to bring something to to the community that really helps um, tell the story about uh, what AI is and what it isn't. Mm-hmm. So you. Hear a lot of people thinking about the robot dogs and the, the movie. You know, That's all what comes stuff, to yeah. my mind. The the, yeah. the AI movie. <laughs> That's right. Skynet is coming and the Terminator and all this stuff, uh, which it is very far from being, and uh, it's typically much more rudimentary than that. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to bring that down to earth, and also give readers some really practical examples of how they can use it in their industry and their business and how they can uh, get to value uh, in the quickest way and so 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 that's the book yeah um and um in terms of what you um sort of cover in there and, and what you believe are the key kind of aspects um of that maybe talk us through you know to you know three or four of the key um, things that you think business execs need to understand or be across um, when they're, um, you know, looking at their strategy or their data science within the business. Yeah. So the way I think about how some of these, you can call it new age technologies, typically get in, embedded in businesses is, uh, and uh, and dare I say it, uh, is by uh, generational change at the top ranks of organizations. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be like that, but it's often like that. So if you look back in time, when 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 the people who'd reached that executive level, uh, it's typically is a there's an age there's a correlation with age there. Uh, that's mm-hmm. just how it is. Yeah. 
uh, when all when all of those execs were uh, computer literate and computer native, because we'd all grown up with it, uh, yeah. all of a sudden uh, there was an explosion in how we use digital services and in our day to day. When everyone was internet native, all of a sudden there's a much bigger push uh, to moving businesses online and digitizing and so on. Um, and and that's because people understand it intuitively. They understand it technically. They've they've played around with it for years, so they really know what 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 it is to touch and feel mm. these technologies. We're not anywhere near that with AI, but that doesn't mean that the opportunity is not there. Yeah. I think for most businesses, it'll be a real shame to have to wait another 10, 20 years uh, for the, the AI native to come along and, and lead their business into mm -hmm. it. Um, so a key takeaway is the opportunity, the biggest opportunity is now. Mm -hmm. And um, this is what we're trying to tell the book is, here's how you can actually technically yeah. and structurally and culturally do that. Um, so um, the book talks about uh, how to set it up from a solution architecture point of view, structuring what you need to structure your, your team and organization to, to be able to uh, produce and consume this content. Um, but there's a big element also of what is the culture you have to create in the organization? How do you do it? What are, what are these examples of businesses that have done that? And what did they do? And what did they do? Well, typically, uh, to actually create this organizational culture, uh, that brings about uh, real analytics maturity. Uh, it has to involve uh, frontline users and frontline staff in the building of the solution. It's not enough to just have some uh, machine learning uh, team or a data science team sit in the proverbial ivory tower and produce output uh, that doesn't connect into the business. Um, typically, it involves going to the frontline seeing their business problems, spending time with them, connecting up technical experts and, and, and those that are experts in interacting with customers uh, and building those solutions together and translating them into, uh, into something uh, that's meaningful for end users being, being staff and, uh, and customers alike. So what that means for, for the leadership in the organization uh, is that all of a sudden you're combining some really, really uh, typically disparate, uh, more siloed uh, capabilities in the organization in, into one, right? So, so when, when you talk about uh, the future of AI, you're really talking about using your data mm -hmm. uh, to predict the prescribed certain outcomes. Uh, but there is also a very human element in that you've got to design something that uh, is the right customer experience is is uh, empathetic to the user yeah is ethically uh, uh, responsible is uh, safe and secure uh, because there's a lot of personal data involved uh, typically mm -hmm. uh, and it's technically robust right so so you have data you have technology you have experience design uh, and underneath that you have um, you have the financial element of it as well, that it has to make, make financial sense for, for end user and, and the business. And uh, what I'm really describing here is you're bringing the whole business into to one solution, which requires everyone to collaborate in a different way. This is yeah. the cultural aspect that, 
that can be really hard to nail because uh, we're talking about something very complex here and, and intangible for people. So this AI, some algorithm that's doing things. And what does that mean uh, for, for, for people who aren't used to dealing with that? It can be conceptually very, um, very fluffy and, uh, yeah. and uh, bringing people up to speed there is, uh, is the hardest job. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for that, Jonas. And uh, look, uh, you know, as Jonas said, that this book's sort of, um, you know, been, um, you know, written to basically sort of fill, um, I suppose, a gap where, you know, a lot of books within data science or business intelligence um, analytics is is usually quite technical. Um, but even for somebody like me, you know, you know, a business leader, business execs, I think this would be a great book. So if anybody's interested, if you just type in demystifying AI for and for the enterprise, um, you'll be able to find a link. Um, but feel free to reach out to me because I think the content in here, um, whether you're there or you're considering that journey, I think there's so many takeaways um, from that, which will help you to decide, you know, is the right time now and or, or when the right time is, what you need, sort of need to do and the steps you need to take. Um, so thank you for that, Jonas. Um, and then I, I suppose sort of broadly, um, data science sounds, you know, to me like, you know, very exciting, um, experimental type of job. You know, you're going to be doing all this cool stuff. Um, but I think at the core of it, you know, there's some real value. So tell us why we need data science in businesses, because some businesses have this and other businesses don't have them necessarily as a function or a role, but may have parts of it embedded into other roles. So tell us why, why we need data science in the business. Sure. So I think we've already touched a little bit on it. Yeah. We, we can definitely uh, hone in more on, on why we need it. So we talked already about a lot of customer interactions moving mm -hmm. online, becoming more digital in their nature. Um, and that means a few things. It means that we're collecting data points along that journey. So we should use that because it's actually really critical information on how customers are engaging with our organization. The other thing it means uh, very simply is customers expect things to happen now. Not waiting two weeks for an answer, not waiting five minutes for an answer. We all know what it's like when a website doesn't load. Mm -hmm. uh, in three seconds, we sit there and get annoyed with it. Yeah. And and you can see that when you look at website drop-off drop rates, as an example, they're, they're much higher when something loads uh, slower within just a few seconds. Yeah. That, that's just an example of, uh, of our, our short attention span and our, our sort of need for speed uh, when it comes to resolution of, of something. So yeah. that means that you need to build things that are quick to an outcome. Uh, that are uh, empathetic to the client or the, or the customer uh, that's easy to use and uh, they don't wait to get problems solved. Uh, and all of this stuff uh, can be done with data or can be done better with data, right? Because we can inform all these parts with uh, analyzing how things work and how we optimize them. We can all automate some of these processes with, with the various forms of, of AI recommendations or or um, or uh, other sort of uh, machine learning uh, based implementations 
Um, we can also help frontline frontline staff get get to answers quicker, thereby resolving problems quicker for, for, for users. So I think that need for speed is really critical. Um, the other bit is, well, we can make decisions much better when we're informed on reasons why something happened. Um, that's really critical. It sounds sort of obvious, mm -hmm. but but every day we make lots of decisions that are not informed by data. Yeah. So by by lifting that up, that information, and making sure that we're making the right decisions or not the wrong ones, over time that grows. Right. It's a it's a it's a um, an interest that that pays dividends all the time, and over time we make uh, lots of the right micro decisions, and we get better and better what we do. Um, I think the last reason uh, why we need it is um, it's just a way to be more scientific uh, about how you do business. Mm -hmm. So we can implement things, we can test, we can measure whether it had the right response. Uh, and we can we can adjust quickly because we can measure uh, customer experience through throughout uh, those solutions that we put up. So if we can do that, then we should do that, and not just uh, sort of logically guess uh, what we think should be the outcome and then hope that it happens. Yeah. Um, so the way the way I think about this is uh, the, the quicker you can start uh, mentally uh, thinking about your your data science function. As a as a profit center, uh, the quicker you're going to start focusing on delivering the right value with it. So, so how do you not see it as a as a nice function to give you information, mm -hmm. but as a tool to cool. create uh, more profit, better customer experiences, quicker processes? They are the they are the outcomes you should measure success on. Yeah, and PowerPoint packs and and uh, whether we have reports and so on. Yeah. 100%, 100%. And I think that's where, um, you know, don't just look at the investment that's going in, but look at what that investment's going to give you once you, you've got those key people there. Um, and, and I know you touched um, a fair bit on the impacts, um, benefits and impacts on, on customers when you use AI to, um, you know, help make decisions and create solutions and services. What, what about employees? What's the impact and, and benefits for employees, um, because that's obviously something, and, and I know you touched on it again, it's, it's the, the cultural and the change and, um, you know, aspect that you've got to manage. But what do you believe are the the benefits or the impacts for employees? Uh, again, it's, it's specific to the situation, of course, but mm -hmm. generally speaking, uh, there is uh, at least this commentary around this that a lot of jobs are going to get replaced mm -hmm. by... By AI and uh, people are potentially nervous about that, um, which is fair enough. I think the the thing that's not going to happen anytime soon, if ever, I don't know. I don't want to put a prediction on that, but the, but the anytime soon uh, is not going to happen. Is that the human is going to be replaced by AI? And, and the way I think about the the opportunities for AI's AI in most organizations is is really an opportunity to take. The robot out of the human, and let the robot do the the robotic work, so mm -hmm. that we can do the things that are uniquely our strengths. Right, so engaging with other humans, um, dealing with problems in an empathetic way, um, 
dealing with hard problems that have uncertainty. Uh, that's where we can focus uh, our time and attention and let, let other things be uh, automated. So, so one thing that AI is very bad at is, uh, is uncertainty because it's trying to say A or B, or trying to predict based on the, pa- on the, on the past. Mm. So if the future is not like the past, aka uncertainty, then mm-hmm. it's unlikely to, to do the right thing. But that's where humans can can use logical reasoning and uh, and sort of see different outcomes and, and pick the one that they think is the right one. So in, in legal services, for instance, we have a lot of this uh, where we have a lot of uh, administration work that is always the same. And so how can we automate that so that we can help the clients with uh, with winning their case or, or whatever it is, uh, where there's a certain uh, level of uncertainty in the outcome, or we could choose different strategies to go down. So we want the lawyers to spend as much time as possible on on doing that high-end legal work that requires a lot of concentration and focus, and, and less time on, on admin that might be able to be automated or done smarter, quicker um, with with AI. So. So that's an example. Uh, I think that means that uh, AI is going to augment the way we work a lot. We're not, not going to be replaced, but it's mm-hmm. going to augment for for the better the way we work with things. And uh, without thinking about it, we already have a lot of that augmentation in our day to day. So I know my my mobile phone that's lying right here. Mm-hmm. I don't have to type in a password anymore i look at it and then it sees my face and it opens up right it, you go okay you've saved five seconds uh, yes times times many times a day times many days uh it's just a small example of of how ai is uh, is augmenting small parts of our life and uh, and speeding it up just ever so slightly here and there so, so that's how i think employees are going to benefit uh, from this stuff more generally yeah and I think that's so powerful what what you just said there, and when you sort of described it, um, you know, it makes so much sense. And if that's if that's the message and that's the reality, and you know, like you said, taking out the robotic elements of what we do and replacing, you know, replacing those, but then giving us as humans the opportunity to, um, you know, probably expand and spend time on the things you know, that we can have an impact on rather than spending time on some of those administrative repetitive tasks. I think, you know, I think is is, is a game changer. And even when you just said that, you know, you know, to me, it just makes complete sense. Um, but like you said, I think it's about explaining that and educating it. Because if you think about individuals who are in sort of fairly repetitive jobs, and let's just use factory workers, for example, for them, that's their livelihood. But if we explain to them that the job that they do where they're loading these boxes onto, you know, a conveyor belt um, is going to change and be taken over by someone else, they would be using the skills that they've probably not been able to fully utilise or even explore to do something better. Um, yeah. And in the short term, so let's not um, let's not completely discount the risk. Mm-hmm. In the short term, there might be that uncertainty of... yeah. Of what do I do now and where do I work? Um, an example I often use is uh, if you go back 150 years or so, uh, we wouldn't be sitting sitting here uh, doing this podcast because we would be busy uh, actually growing our own food. Mm-hmm. 
60% of the, the population back then worked in farming. Not because it was the best industry to work in, but it was out of a necessity, right? This is, it was so cumbersome to produce food that that was all we could spend our time on uh, from morning to, to night, producing enough to feed ourselves. And then there was a little bit left over for the remaining 40% to also be fed and do other things. Uh, as we have uh, automated, not with AI, but other technologies, machines typically, um, uh, the farming process, uh, we are now able to produce huge amounts of nutrition uh, with way less resource. So today, 2% of the population work in farming. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're we're a much bigger population now. So we're feeding many more mouths. And as a result of that, indirect result of that over time, we have had uh, other industries uh, bloom uh, and expand uh, to levels that we couldn't have imagined back then. So all the service industries that we have today, and there's a huge part of the population, the lion's share probably works in, in service industries now, which is really just helping uh, other people uh, do some sort of uh, task uh, in a more efficient way. Uh, all those service industries uh, didn't exist to the same extent back then, and we didn't actually have the societal capacity to make them grow. Um, so. If, again, here with AI, it's uh, it's an analogy for for what what it can be. Right? How do we uh, take some of these robotic things out of our lives so that we can grow all these other things um, that we can't even think of at the moment? That's where I think it'll go. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. It's um, it's mind blowing. I remember um, I met my son's IT teacher when he have just first started primary school, and um, I got into a conversation with him and one of the things he said to me, um, you know, he said, the jobs that these children will be doing when they finish study have not even been created yet. Um, you know, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's scary because, you know, how quickly things are being innovated and, and even just the thought of the fact that, you know, if my son does, you know, pursue a career in technology, that the job that he'll be doing doesn't even exist right now. Um, which you know probably closely aligns with some of the you know some of the roles within the data and analytics profession, the cybersecurity. You know, there's so many fields like that in technology that just didn't exist even you know ten years ago, five years ago that exist now. So I, I think it's incredible and and really exciting. Um, and I don't really talk about this a lot because I don't want this podcast. You know, as you know, I'm, I'm a recruiter and I never want it to be about recruitment. But what about AI on talent acquisition and learning and development? Where do you believe businesses can use that? Because we do hear that a lot at the moment um, that you know recruitment will be taken over and you know and, and things like that. But but where do you feel that AI can add value within that process within the learning and development and and, and talent acquisition space? Yeah, so there 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 are quite a few ways you could you could think of it using, and there's probably a lot of ways as well that the, I would have never even thought about yet. Um, but um, if you sort of go to first principles of, yeah. of your question, uh, you're, you're about connecting uh, the right person mm-hmm. with the right role or profession. Right? So you're trying to you're trying to match match two parties up that don't know each other yet. Um, and there there are a few levels in that. Firstly, you need to find the right person. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the way we do that now in traditional ways is uh, we 
we put up resumes and we send the resumes to to a pool of other resumes typically because there's an application process mm-hmm. and then we vet those resumes someone reads them and then we say um yes this candidate we would like to talk to them or or not um so even just this bit right this is a short bit uh, yeah there's a lot you can do there, right? So you're you're actually already using uh, AI to some extent because people use uh, LinkedIn has uh, yeah. a lot of technology in it, and in link on LinkedIn you can present yourself in a completely different way. You can create this content. You can go into an algorithm that amplifies mm-hmm. that content. Correct. Uh, if you're connected to 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 someone like Yurina, you might see that uh, this person's uh, pretty switched on because they they pump out all this content that's quite mm-hmm. interesting and they're a different way of thinking. They might be right for this particular role that I'm looking for someone for mm-hmm. uh, already you're um, you're uh, have a different profile than you would otherwise uh, through the the old traditional resume uh, one example um, when you get all these resumes in uh, you can uh, run them through uh, technologies and that's already in use to to pick up keywords yeah. uh, that might uh, signify that a candidate is is uh, more or less suitable. Um, mm-hmm. But where I think the real big opportunity here actually lies is in um, in the uh, the Moneyball version of, of recruitment. So I don't know if you've seen the movie Moneyball. Uh, I haven't, with, uh, no. Brad Pitt and uh, Jonah Hill and, and some other people. Uh, mm-hmm. But basically what that movie is about is, uh, and it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the exact team, uh, so spare yeah. me the... Uh, forgive me for not having the details exactly right here, but but they were a, a professional baseball team with a suboptimal uh, group of players. Um, and typically, the way you recruit for that is you go to games and you find uh, new talent that have a star factor, then you, mm-hmm. you pay money for them and, and, and join the team. Yep. Uh, what this group did was they used the data to to look at undiscovered talent. So how did they have high pitch rates? They were fast runners and all this, but they, their stats didn't, their game stats didn't actually show the quality yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the diamond in the rough, the undiscovered talent, right? Um, using data to figure this out. Um, and I think there, there's a, a large undercurrent of, of, of that uh, opportunity in recruitment where you can find that person that is the superstar, but they don't ha- haven't had twenty years uh, to build the resume showing that. Um, yeah. Uh, how do you do that? Well, there there'll be different data points you can collect on someone and then correlate um, correlate that with, with later performance and so on. And I think that that's an area that could uh, be really interesting to explore for for recruitment in the future. And I have no doubt that it'll it'll come. Yeah, that that's exciting. Maybe we can talk about creating something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a new that's a big start. Hello. Um brilliant. And then um I, I guess, you know, so to sort of wrap things up, I mean, you know, fr- from your perspective, we've touched on this, uh, I think, already. Um, but is there anything else that you, you know, you feel um is important um, you know, to to share with sort of business leaders and execs? In relation to when they're they're looking at the right strategy or um, leadership to use data science and AI, uh, I, I might make a, a call out to uh, to two important types of business leaders um, mm-hmm. just to finish up. So uh, the first one is uh, the general executive. Uh, 
So if they want analytics and data science, AI to really have an impact on the organization, uh, they got to create that culture throughout the organization that permeates this stuff. They got to ask the staff to make data-driven decision, make, uh, make, make data-driven decisions. They got to ask for proof every time a decision is made that that's there. And then we've got to build on that. The culture has to come from the top. Um, it's very hard for, for data science teams to, to do that alone. Uh, it's very hard for IT teams to, to do that with the data science teams alone. Uh, it has to come from the top. So it is absolutely CEO and, and, and next level down. It's their responsibility to make this happen. In terms of data science leaders or data leaders, uh, there is an absolute need uh, for you guys in organizations as actual business leaders, not, tech, not just technical experts. Uh, you have a real role as translators and educators, uh, vision setters, uh, path finders, strategy setters in the organization. So uh, if this is not one of your strong suits at the moment, Make sure you practice that skill every day and read books and push yourself a little bit in your day to day to set goals because uh, data science is as much a master communication exercise as it is a, a, a role of combining digits in a computer. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And um, in terms of, um, you know, I guess, you know, yourself and, how you sort of keep yourself current and up to date, Jonas? How do you stay, um, you know, current with what's going on and ensure that you're you're staying, um, you know, ahead of the curve? Yeah, I do a few things, uh, but before I, I mention that, I will actually uh, pre-qualify my answer by saying I, f- I find it very difficult to stay up to date across this full spectrum because mm-hmm. it is just so fastly evolving. Yeah. And uh, I have, like everyone else, a bit of uh, fear of missing out or a bit of uh, imposter syndrome across mm-hmm. across the full spectrum because it is just so hard. There's so much happening all the time. New tools, new coding languages, new new areas of the spectrum that you have to cover. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it is really hard. Um, but what do I do to do my best in this space? Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a natural uh, healthy interest in things, um, so I do try to allocate uh, certain hours of the week for, for just reading things, um, books and so on. Um, and I do try to value and protect that time um, because it is uh, learning time. Um, I also uh, allocate a few hours to to technical work, so just you know, online courses and so on, just to play with things. And so you sort of close to the data still and so on. Like I've I've been in these uh, senior leadership senior leadership positions for for some years, and it's really hard to to stay close to to the detail. And yeah. so I spend time doing that uh, in my own time, typically. Um, this podcast that I've started has been a real. Uh, excellent uh, source of knowledge for me because I get to uh, chat to some very interesting people uh, about a whole uh, range of topics within this space. Mm -hmm. Um, And lastly, uh, 
one of the things that I try to force myself to do is uh, connected to the old phrase of if you want to learn something really well, then teach it to someone else. Yeah. So uh, I've written a book which mm. is about teaching stuff to someone else. Yeah. That forced me to to really dig deep into the area. Uh, I've taught uh, a few university courses and built some as well mm. um, on this topic. So that's that's um, forced me to to organize all this information and, and, and communicate it in a way that someone else can learn and pick it up. Um, so that's also a very helpful framework for me. And then I try to go and speak at conferences and so on, because again, it's, it's about passing information on to someone else. So you have to necessarily uh, structure information and, and uh, I suppose, boil it down into its essence, which is a, it's a way of uh, teaching yourself at the same time what the, the essence of something is. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. And, and you're an incredible individual, Jonas, and I don't know how you keep up. I mean, you, you said that you, you know, you find it hard because there's so many things, but you already are so invested in giving back, um, you know, with the view that you're learning at the same time. So I think it's incredible. And, you know, I hope you keep doing what you're doing um, because, you know, what you're going to share and what you're going to gain, I think is, uh, you know, like you said, is, is limitless when you have that kind of mindset. Um, so, um, yeah, keep doing that. Um, and I know when we first sort of started this, this conversation, when I reached out to you initially and, and invited you to be on the podcast, we touched about, I touched on some of the industries or some of the sectors, perhaps where this isn't, um, so commonly used, which, which industries, I mean, and obviously I think we touched on it, that there's, there's a lot probably that the legal industry and this legal domain can gain from adopting, these practices and and how it can transform their business. But but what other domains do you feel are missing an opportunity by not embracing data and data science um, within their organisations from your from your experience? So I think generally speaking, there is a lot of opportunity across most industries, and uh, we've only seen five percent of where it's going to get to in the next 20 years, I think. So, so every area has, uh, has lots of opportunity. Um, the opportunity is, is very similar across many industries, but slightly different for different reasons. Uh, it can be you know, the legacy of the industry and how it's structured mm-hmm. and so on. And I'm, I'm biased towards uh, service industries, yeah. uh, uh, business to consumer, because that's where I've spent most of mm-hmm. my time. And, so I think a lot about those, and I think uh, where AI is, is very easily implemented is in, in sort of a manufacturing uh, supply chain uh, type situations, um, mm-hmm. because it is typically more about uh, producing the same output consistently. Um, yeah. And I think that we are we're a lot more involved in that space as well uh, with AI than we are in uh, consumer services. Um, so. So I think there's a huge impact that, that we can have on on those industries still. Um, uh, I think uh, legal services is, is massive. This is why I've joined this industry. I, I want to really uh, be part of that journey. You know, it's uh, it's the biggest uh, opportunity I've seen. Um, mm-hmm. Also the biggest challenge, um, but <laughs> that's part of it. Yeah. Um, I think financial services is another space that is so rife for uh, taking advantage of uh, 
of AI and data-driven customer solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's, it's been held back uh, for many years by, by this legacy system yeah. issue we talked about. So some of the big banks will have thousands of applications mm-hmm. working together at, at the same time. And, and there's not one individual in that organization that can understand what's happening end-to-end. It, it, it's just impossible. So, so that's hard. Um, uh, there's a huge regulatory uh, pressure on that industry, and, and there's a lot of stuff there for, 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 for individual organizations to live up to from a regulatory point of view, yep. uh, which is uh, overarchingly good, but it means that implementing and experimenting with AI solutions is just uh, a lot harder than it is in, in some other industries um, because of that. Um, but I think Financial services is probably the one I would pick because those businesses have so much information mm-hmm. on on customers uh, that's largely untapped. Uh, it's rich information. It's, it's typically information that can tell you a lot about their situation in life, and it's a real opportunity to be uh, empathetic to the client. Um, so, so that's the data. But I also think there's there's another element there that uh, is, is very much happening in Australia at the moment, which is uh, regulations around uh, consumer data right, open banking and open data, which means uh, it's now mandated for banks to allow consumers to port their data that, that said bank holds on them to, to other organizations yeah. that are accredited within the scheme. Uh, and what does that mean? Well, it means that for, for an individual, all of a sudden, this information is easy to port around and you can share it uh, with third parties and so on. So, so you can automate uh, things like looking for better deals, um, refinancing your home loan, that's what you're into. Um, yeah. uh, automating parts of that process, information exchange. So it makes things a lot easier. Uh, it's a big, it's a big uh, risk to those banks that don't jump on that bank bandwagon, I think, uh, because uh, this is where data becomes really powerful. It can quickly be ported around between industries. And, and the winners of that, for me, will be the ones that are most uh, empathetic to their customers and are able to, to own that customer relationship. Um, and, and we've seen that in, in areas like uh, China, where uh, for other reasons, uh, they have uh, had this sort of dynamic for many years where uh, everyone has this WeChat app uh, which is famous, and uh, you can do so much in that app that uh, you basically don't need to interact directly with your bank for 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 a lot of things. And so, so the bank becomes the the balance sheet, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not necessarily owning the customer relationship. It's not the the first yeah. interface uh, between the customer and their money. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see that that risk there, uh, yeah. and, and and what banks need to do about that. Um, I could talk about this uh, stuff for uh, another whole podcast no. episode. <laughs> Better stop here. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I just wanted to sort of give, uh, you know, give give the listeners just just a bit of an idea of the opportunity. I think there is, and I think I think the biggest um, sort of takeaway, and and certainly, um, you know, what we've talked about is really is that let's look at data science and AI as 
as a way of what it can do and how it can transform what we do, whether it's our personal lives. And, you know, I mean, for this podcast, specifically in relation to the impacts that it has on a business and as business leaders, how we should look at it and and, and how it can change what we do. Um, so thank you very much, Ernest. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, I, you know, I, um, I've certainly, like you said, you know, I've learned a lot from this myself. So I really, really appreciate you taking out time out of your busy schedule to to come on the show and, and share your experience and, and your wisdom. Um, I think it'll, I think it'd be fantastic for the listeners, and uh, I hope they uh, take some time looking into your book because, I, as I said, I had a, I had a look at it, and you know, even for somebody like me, I think you know, there's so much that you can learn from that. So, uh, thank you once again. Thank you, Rena, for providing this service to the data community and others who are listening. I think it's really valuable what you're doing. And um, the more we can learn from each other, the better. So thank you for the opportunity to be on here today. Thank you. Thanks, Jonas. Thanks.